2: is doing it big. Oil tycoon George H.W. Bush is president and leads America to victory in Operation Desert Storm.
6: As president, I can report to the nation, aggression is defeated. The war is over.
2: Feisty Ann Richards becomes the first woman elected as governor in Texas in 50 years.
1: Welcome to the first day of the new Texas.
2: And in business, Texas is booming.
7: The oil industry was exploding because oil prices were high. There's a new energy trading company called Enron that everybody thought was the crown jewel of
5: American industry. Enron is a company that deals with everyone with absolute integrity.
2: At the center of Texas prosperity is Houston.
7: I remember Houston in the 90s was a rollicking city. There was just this kind of ebullience, and money was flowing, and times were good.
0: Moving to a big city like Houston can be pretty intimidating. Which neighborhoods are the safest, and what schools are the
6: best?
2: Making it in Houston means flaunting your wealth. And for Houston's elite, it's all about having the right address in a neighborhood called River Oaks.
4: I was a patrol officer near River Oaks. All the Enron guys lived there, Exxon. There's been a couple astronauts. When George Bush left the White House, he wanted to go to River Oaks.
2: For Houston socialite Doris Angleton, moving to River Oaks is a dream come true. Doris and her husband Bob have got it all.
5: No, Doris! Oh.
3: Well,
8: I want to thank everybody very much for coming to my party. And I especially want to thank my
7: husband, Bob. When people ask Bob what he did for a living, he would say he invested in real estate. He had not only spent $650,000 cash for his home in River Oaks, he owned a golf course, he owned a tennis club, he owned land in Colorado, he owned other properties.
2: For Bob it's nothing but the best for him and Doris and their twin daughters, Allie and Nikki.
7: Nikki and Allie were raised in privilege. They not only went to one of the top private schools, they took English horseback riding lessons. They took tennis lessons.
2: But in River Oaks, the shining star of the Angleton family is Doris herself.
8: I spent a lot of time with her. I felt like I grew up with her was because I was very young and uh, we just grew up together. She was very active and she loved to dance. She had a lot of friends. She just was continually trying to improve herself. She always liked to achieve.
7: People liked her because she was always interested in what they were doing. She always asked about you. She was just constantly cheerful, and no one seemed to be in a bad mood when they were around Doris.
6: How long have you known her? Uh, since, Since she was 18 or 19, longer than that probably. I could see why Bob Angleton would choose her and want to court her and marry her. Bob and Doris first met at a party 12 years earlier
2: while she was married to someone else but she was unhappy and on the verge of divorce.
8: He swept her off her feet, took her to all the very fancy restaurants and uh, did all those things that you see in the movies. (laughs) And that impressed her, of course. Bob and Doris marry in 1982.
2: Two years later, they become parents.
8: She was so excited. She said, it's twins, mom, it's twins. Nobody could have been more thrilled.
2: As the years go by, life gets better and better for the Angletons.
1: Bob's business began growing and growing and growing.
2: Though Bob is often consumed by his job, he is still a doting husband.
7: Bob's very good at giving gifts. Doris said she had to stop complimenting her friends, jewelry, because the minute she did, he would go off and buy the same thing just for her.
2: For Doris's 40th birthday in 1991... Bob goes
6: over the top, planning a party for her.
8: Happy birthday, Doris. Happy birthday, Doris.
6: We did the best of food. Um, We got a Dr. Ruth Westheimer impersonator to talk about sex.
8: Hello, everybody. Good sex is just the beginning, Doris. Doris, where are you? We just want to see your lovely face.
6: We got a whole lot of props. He wanted to throw her a party that would, you know, sort of blow her mind. Although, I was wondering how much is he doing this party for himself, society, showing off that he can do it. Hell of a party, Bobby. Hell of a party, Bobby.
2: As fun as the party is, Doris's trademark smile can't mask her true
1: feelings. She did
6: seem a little uncomfortable
1: at the party. Doris confided in some of her friends that, you know, not everything is perfect as it looks to the outside world.
7: Bob had trouble expressing his emotions. He was a giving man when it comes to materialistic things, but he was never able to show the compassion and the sweetness that people want in a spouse. Her marriage to Bob had none of that.
8: She had been counseling a lot trying to see if they could work out something.
2: By 1997, there's talk in River Oaks that Bob and Doris are going to divorce.
8: I said, well, are you going to move out, or is he going to move out? And and she said, oh, everything can be divided evenly fine. There's no, no problem about that.
7: It was so amicable that they decided that Bob would stay in the house until school ended at the end of the 1997 spring semester. There just seemed to be no problems at all with this divorce.
2: It's a warm Wednesday afternoon when Doris takes the twins to their softball game. Waiting for them at the field is the team's coach, Bob.
7: Doris arrives late. And Bob says, I need you to go back to the house and get a special softball bat that he had bought for one of the daughters that she liked to use. Doris said she needed to go home and change anyway, so she gets in the car and drives home.
2: But as the game gets underway, there's no sign of Doris.
1: It was pretty much into the middle of the ball game when Bob realized that Doris hadn't returned, you know, with the bad. So Bob started calling her. And he also tried to page her, and she never would return the pages or never would answer her telephone.
2: The game ends, and Doris still hasn't shown up. Something must be going
7: wrong because Doris always responds to his pages and his phone calls. Why hadn't she
2: answered? Concerned. Bob and the girls head home.
1: They pull up into the driveway, and he sees that the side door was ajar. That's kind of odd.
7: Bob is worried about everyone's safety. He doesn't want to go into the house alone and leave the girls. He doesn't want to take the girls in the house. He decides to sit in the car and call 911.
8: Hello. Uh, I'm at my residence. Uh, back door is ajar. My wife, to my best knowledge, was home. I'm getting no answer in the car, in the house. I have children with me in the car. What's the address? 3031 LLE Lane.
4: So we drive over to the house. And he comes running up. You gotta go in my house. You gotta go in my house. I know she's in there.
2: Taking no chances, Officer Carr draws his gun.
4: I turn to the left. I look into the kitchen. And when I did, I kicked the shell casing.
2: Minutes after Bob Angleton calls 911 about his missing wife, Doris, police officer Kevin Carr arrives at the Angleton home.
4: I turn to the left. I look into the kitchen. And when I did, I kicked the shell casing. I immediately froze. There she was. She was laying on the ground. Her head was to the side. and her right
1: ear, the right side of her head, was on the floor. There was bullet casings that were located around her body. There was some blood also around the body. She had several gunshot wounds to the head. She had several to the body. knelt down. She was cold at to a touch
4: there was no pulse there.
2: Back outside the house, Officer Carr breaks the news to Bob.
4: I said, let me talk to you a second. Come over here. I don't want your girls to hear this. I told him, look, your wife's passed.
2: News of beloved neighbor Doris Angleton's murder travels fast across River Oaks.
3: Mrs. Angleton was shot several times in the head and chest.
1: The
4: news media starts showing up. This is a big deal because it was in River Oaks. So they're going to want to go live from the scene with something. And they did.
2: As the news vans line up outside, police begin their investigation.
1: There were no signs of forced entry. As far as actual forced entry, glass breakage, marks on the door, such as a crowbar type marks, there was none of that.
4: Every door in this house is unlocked, but every window is locked. Something's wrong.
2: The detectives examine the alarm system. It's turned off. They head upstairs, looking for more clues.
4: We found a safe, a little bitty safe. The door was open. It had a couple bundles of cash. We're like, okay, it's not
2: robbery. Another important clue comes from the condition of Doris's body.
4: It didn't look like there was any kind of physical contact between, you know, hands or, you know, fists or anything like that.
2: But police do see that Doris was shot over and over, seven times in the head, five shots to the body. There
4: was no indication whatsoever that she'd been physically assaulted other than being shot. That in and of itself was the reason why I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if it's professional, but this is a hit.
2: Usually in the murder of a husband or wife, police look first at a surviving spouse. But Bob Angleton has an indisputable alibi.
6: I'm the head coach, manager of a uh, Carol Sassbrook's team over in Westview. My daughter's play on that tune.
2: With tape recorders running, Bob tells detectives about the last time he saw Doris alive.
3: My uh, pulls up, so she's coming back home to change she should be back to the game. So she doesn't come back. We play the game, we're playing out there, and then she has not new turn. Head home as quick as I can. I uh, don't know what happened.
7: The detectives say, do you have any idea who would have done this? After a moment's pause, Bob said,
2: Off Mike. Bob explains that the hit on Doris could have something to do with his business. Turns out, Bob is a bookie, a high-risk profession in a state where gambling is illegal.
5: This is a businessman. Illegal gambling brings in his biggest profits.
2: In an earlier era, bookies had a reputation for being shady characters. By the 90s, bookies like Bob Angleton had more polish. Though their business was still illegal, they were closer to white collar criminals than dangerous thugs. When Bob first came
7: to Houston, he did get to know some people who were involved in the bookmaking business and they offered him a job to handle bets. And he turned out to be sort of a savant at this. He was a genius. Bob's business grew so quickly that he had associates working for him who stayed in apartments that Bob rented for them. He had safety deposit boxes in banks all over the city that was holding his money, his winnings. He to the IRS. He was reporting only a scant amount of what he actually was bringing in. And Bob was a good bookmaker who didn't do anything devious. He didn't have muscle. He didn't have someone to come out and threaten you or break your legs if you didn't pay your bets. He would just simply drop you He kept
2: it clean. Bob runs his bookie operation like a legitimate business, complete with employee conduct rules and modern technology.
7: He kept a pager, and he would pick up the pager to see if there were any bets that had come in. He was
2: always thinking bets. Running a clean operation works. Bob is the most successful bookie in all of Houston.
1: He's got several apartments that were set up, and then you had people at those apartments working the telephone, taking bets from his customers.
2: By 1997, Bob is handling $20 to $40 million worth of bets a year. And in River Oaks, no one blinks an eye.
8: Doris said they outright told their friends, and some, I I imagine, booked with him.
7: She would think that people would keep their distance from him because he was a bookmaker. He was doing something illegal. But the way his friends sort of justified it was he was committing a victimless crime. Nobody was getting hurt.
1: No one, that is, until now. He told us that maybe his gambling activities was a reason for Doris being killed.
2: Because while making his millions, Bob has also been making enemies. He tells detectives he has been secretly cooperating with the Houston Vice Squad.
1: He's a snitch. Bob, turning in other bookmakers, you will make enemies. If I'm a bookmaker and I get turned in by Bob, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be very angry.
2: In an attempt to help police investigate the hit-style murder of his wife, Bob Angleton makes a shocking confession. Not only did he make his fortune as an illegal bookie, but he's been a registered police informant for over 10 years.
7: In the mid-80s, he got arrested for bookmaking. Apparently, a gambler who didn't want to pay his debts turned him in. And Bob was never convicted of any crime because he cut a deal with the Houston Police Department to be an informant on other bookmakers.
1: We talked to the vice officer that was handling Bob. Said Bob worked for a couple of different vice officers trying to, you know, make cases against other bookmakers so that the vice division could make cases against them and get them arrested, get them off the streets.
2: The move turned out to be good for Bob's business.
4: When they took them down, he would then step in and take over their vacant territory. He was making a lot of money that way.
2: But ratting on your fellow bookies is bound to create bad blood. Bob said he had death threats
7: coming from other bookies. Bob suggested that maybe they had come after him, or perhaps his wife Doris, to get even with him or to run him out of town.
1: We looked into other bookmakers, and I think there was one that we did speak to that Bob had turned in. And this person told us, yeah, he was very upset with Bob. We're going to you know, stay on that until something else turns up or leads us into a different direction.
2: As the sun rises over Houston, River Oaks is reeling.
1: The brutal murder shocked the community, especially the Angletons' neighbors.
6: Well, I mean, they're really a nice family, nice neighbors, and, you know, we're just sorry that this happened. We really are. He's just a great, a great person, a great mother, a great
7: friend. I just really want to know what happened.
8: Makes you realize that you live in a difficult world.
2: Investigators are chasing the lead of Bob's secret life as a bookie.
1: We're just actively investigating at this time. And we're in a course of it. We're still at it. And
5: fortunately, we don't have a whole lot that we're going to release.
1: But when they
2: begin speaking with Doris's friends, they discover another possible lead. Doris had a secret life of her own.
3: Why is America on America Online?
8: It puts the whole internet right at my fingertips.
3: You can send instant messages just like that.
8: I can stay a little closer to my family.
3: You've got mail. America Online. So easy to use. No wonder it's number one.
2: In the 1990s, at the dawn of the internet boom, and before Facebook and Twitter, there were chat rooms.
7: Mostly run by AOL. These chat rooms would be divided into categories. So there would be like a Houston Texans football team chat room, or a teenagers who love to roller skate chat room, or a over 40 chat room. When Bob was gone, She would get on the AOL Over 40 chat room. What she found in those chat rooms were other people who were a little bit lonely, a little bit unhappy, and who wanted some connection. And she found a connection.
2: With the screen name Doritos, Doris becomes the darling of the Over 40 chat room.
7: As a kind of attempt to be funny, she posted a picture of herself with Barbara Bush. Everybody liked her on the chat room. All the other chatters liked her because she was funny. She was clever. She was friendly. She was easy.
2: But offline, Doris's friends are worried.
7: Doris's friends sat her down and said, Doris, this is not good for you. Things are going to be turned bad for you if you keep doing this. And Doris said, well, actually, the opposite has happened. I've found someone on the chat room who I really like talking to.
8: My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words.
2: you got Like Meg Ryan's character in You've Got Mail, Doris falls for a virtual stranger. Thunder Road 609 says he's a stockbroker. Married, but like Doris, bored and unhappy.
7: He and Doris hit it off instantly. Two lonely people... It was the way the world was beginning to work back then, that a stay-at-home mom didn't have to slip out of her house and go to a bar to meet another man. She could meet a man online through a chat
2: room.
1: Doris's friends tried to talk Doris out of developing a relationship with this guy because, you know, you don't know who he is. You don't know what he's done. Uh, it's just kind of a scary situation.
2: When police learn about the online lover from a friend, they wonder if Doris was the victim of a new kind of predator. At that time,
7: there were a lot of articles about the dangers of these chat rooms. You didn't know who you were chatting with. You think you know somebody just by meeting them online. But you really don't.
2: Investigators have two leads in the murder of Doris Angleton a rival bookie and Doris's online lover. When the Houston police learn that Doris was planning a new life with her new man, they want to find him. But immediately after Doris's murder, he logs off AOL and vanishes from the internet. In order to find him, cops dig deeper into their secret relationship. She told Bob
7: that she and a friend were going to go to Arizona for a little mini vacation, girls only. What she didn't tell him was that the man from her chat room was also flying to Arizona for their first meeting.
2: There's instant chemistry.
7: The love affair went into full bloom almost immediately. He even came to Houston and stayed at a hotel and she would surreptitiously slip out and meet him a few times there.
2: Doris falls hard for her online lover. In late 1996, she begins planning an escape from her marriage.
1: Doris wanted a divorce. She had written a letter to Bob, kind of explaining what she was about to do. and She just wasn't prepared to keep up the marriage.
2: Going through court documents, detectives confirmed that Doris filed for divorce two months before she was murdered.
1: We learned through Doris's divorce attorney. She wanted some of the money that Bob had made. I mean, she knew about all the cash money that Bob was holding in the bank.
7: When she said she wanted half of his income, he agreed and said he had six safety deposit boxes scattered throughout Houston banks with about $3 million in it, and he would give her $1.5
1: million dollars. I guess at the time that satisfied Doris, but she felt like there's still more you know more money out there that she didn't know about in some of these boxes. The turn in Doris decided to freeze all these boxes so that Bob just couldn't go in and take all the money and put it in another box that she didn't know about.
2: Before they have a chance to react to that information, they get a surprise phone call from a key person of interest, Doris's secret online boyfriend
1: in New Jersey. He contacted us, and he was interviewed over the telephone. Are they speaking with Doris's killer? You just have that feeling when you talk to a person, they're being upfront with you. We just didn't feel like he was a viable suspect.
7: They came up with no reason to suspect the boyfriend had anything to do with her murder.
2: With one lead now a dead end, detectives continued to investigate the Angletons' divorce and discover a new wrinkle in a supposedly amicable split.
1: We learned from some of her friends that Doris threatened Bob with going to the Internal Revenue Service about his gambling activities. Suspicious
2: he was hiding money from her, Doris had met with a tax lawyer.
7: He looked at the tax returns and said, Bob's not reporting much of his income at all. If you really want half of his estate, he needs to come clean with how much money he's made and either report that to the IRS
2: or give it to you. If Doris made good on her threat, Bob would be facing financial ruin, plus possible jail time for tax evasion. Bob's
7: got a motive to kill her.
2: When police question Bob, he admits that Doris did threaten him, but reminds them he was coaching a softball game at the time of Doris's murder. He then tells police something he said he was reluctant to mention before.
7: And what he says is that the guy he really thinks did the killing was his own brother Roger. Roger. And the cops go, Roger?
2: Bob hadn't spoken to his brother since 1993 when Roger moved to San Diego after a falling out between them.
7: Roger worked for Bob in the bookie business a year and a half before Bob fired him due to incompetence. And that set off this feud between Roger and Bob.
1: Bob and Roger had an altercation. Roger, thinking that Bob had money in a briefcase, tried to steal the money from Bob. I think he got the briefcase, but there was no money in the briefcase. But Bob tells
2: police that in January 1997, three months before Doris's murder, Roger wrote a letter to Bob asking for money to keep quiet about Bob's illegal bookie operation.
5: $200,000 in cash, or I will hurt you in a way that will be with you for the rest of your life.
1: Bob hadn't taken the letter seriously until now. We read the letter and we, I mean, it sounded like it was definitely a threat that if Bob didn't do what the letter said, that he would hurt Bob in a way that he would definitely remember.
2: Using information provided by Bob, police immediately worked to track down Roger.
7: The police try to trace him and can't connect him to Houston until a few days later after the murder, when this bizarre event takes place at the DFW Airport in Dallas-Fort Worth.
1: I got a phone call from a lieutenant at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. He said this white, older male had bought a one-way ticket from America Airlines to San Diego, California. He had a big suitcase with him. Once the suitcase started going through the x-ray, the x-ray technician saw two pistols in the suitcase. And he said, uh, sir, you have to come with me. The man fled, getting lost in the crowd, but left his suitcase behind. There was a 32 caliber pistol and a 38 caliber pistol. We pretty well knew that the two guns found were, were not the ones that killed Doris because she was killed with a twenty-two.
2: That's not all
1: police find in the suitcase.
7: They discover handwritten notes about getting into the Angleton home. Details about what to do, what time to do it, how to make the shot. It's clearly what looks like a description of how to commit a murder of a woman named Doris Angleton.
1: We faxed a copy of Rogers' pictures to the airport and showed the ticket agents out there. They identified Rogers being the person that ran from them.
2: Three weeks later...
1: Detectives make their move.: We flew out to San Diego because we determined that Roger had a, a girlfriend that he was living with her out in San Diego. We didn't get a whole lot of information. I felt like that she was not telling us everything that she knew
2: But after getting a subpoena for her phone records, detectives noticed 51 outgoing calls within a three-day period in mid-July.:
1: I just started calling the numbers, I called one number and it came back to the Clark County Jail, which is Las Vegas, Nevada. I said, do y'all have Roger England in jail out there? And he said, yes, we do. And he was trying to pass a uh, fake driver's license at a hotel. Las Vegas
2: police had arrested Roger in his hotel room for passing the fake ID. When Roger consented to a room search, the cops unknowingly stumbled onto a treasure trove of evidence for a murder in Texas.
7: They find a briefcase. They open it up, they find cash, which has fingerprints. They find a typed set of instructions about how to get into the Angleton home. And they see an audio tape.
1: They recover the briefcase and they put everything in a property room. Everything pointed toward Roger.
2: Now that police have located Roger and even more evidence in Doris's murder, they head to Las Vegas. But Justice Houston detectives think they have their man. The tape found in Rogers' briefcase changes everything.
1: As long as she walks in the door, you've got her. And then, when she's down, I go up to her and finish. But you can't look to that.
2: Three months after the murder of Doris Angleton, Houston police recover a cassette belonging to her brother in law, Roger, that may hold the answer to who killed her.
5: The tape that we had from Roger is a conversation between two males planning the death of Doris Angleton and what's going to happen and how things are going to happen. Got to disarm the alarm system. They had a shooter. Did she learn to send no, no. She
2: a The detectives are certain one of the voices is Rogers. Press clear. And while they can't be sure, they think they know the other
1: voice. There were sayings on that tape that they talked about that only the homeowner would know.
5: And it says to disarm the
2: bob angleton with this new theory investigators
5: get a clearer picture of doris angleton's last moments when she goes back to get the bat roger is laying in wait and when she comes into the house and he steps out and opens fire she was hit so many times before
8: there could ever be a struggle It was something that was such a nightmare. I just couldn't believe it.
2: The police now believe that Bob hired Roger to kill Doris, but they need to prove it. The tape and $64,000 in cash found in Roger's briefcase must be tied back to Bob.
1: We sent the money wrappers to our latent print lab, and they identified two of the latent prints off the money wrappers as belonging to Bob Angleton. So those two fingerprints on the money wrappers plus the tape of the two men talking who we identified as being Bob and Roger, based on that information alone, the DA felt there was enough to file capital murder charges on both of them.
7: Tonight's big story, the man's brother is accused of pulling the trigger. Now both he and the victim's husband are under arrest.
1: We arrested Bob. He... Didn't act surprised. He's just kind of of matter-of-fact, no emotion. They say the husband allegedly wanted his wife killed, so he convinced his own brother to pull the trigger. Tonight, both men are in jail held without bonds.
7: It's the biggest murder story in Houston in years.
1: We have two 13-year-old little girls who don't have a mother, and tonight their father's in jail. And that's a terrible, sad situation.
2: Prosecutors feel they have a strong case to convict Bob, but there's one problem,
5: the cassette tape. The tape is problematic because it's not clear. You have to study the tape. Jurors don't study tapes. So what better than to have the actual killer say, he's the one who hired me. So the
7: prosecutors come to Roger and say, we want to cut a deal. You plead guilty... It will give you a lesser prison sentence, but you have to tell what you know about Bob.
2: Roger agrees. But two days before meeting with Roger to make the deal official, prosecutors receive shocking news.
3: Roger Angleton took his own life in jail yesterday.
5: He had apparently inflicted several wounds to his, uh, to his neck and his arms using a uh, disposable razor, which are the standard issues uh, within the jail.
2: Found beside Roger's body was a note.
5: I shot Doris Angleton to death on April 16th, 1997 in an attempt to create an extortion situation based on fear to gain money from my brother, which I felt he owed me. I also attempted to make it look as though he was part of it. Now I know I was wrong and can't live with myself and my pain any longer.
7: So in his goodbye letter to the world... Roger exonerates the brother who tried to pin the murder on him, but the end all is the cops don't have Roger's testimony to get Bob convicted of murder.
2: But the police and the prosecutors still have the tape recording, which they hope will make their case against Bob. The trial of Bob Angleton begins. Prosecutors paint a picture of a vindictive husband and a greedy bookie. Without Roger's testimony, they must rely on the tape of the two men planning the murder.
0: On the tape, prosecutors say voice number one is Roger Angleton. Now,
8: if the jury believes that voice number two is indeed Robert Angleton, it will be the most damaging piece of evidence so far.
2: Prosecutors enlist a voice expert to prove Bob's voice
5: is on the tape. And he says, I'm 80% sure the voice is not Bob's. It's an unexpected
2: win for the defense, who then score their final victory when they bring Bob's twin daughters to the stand.
4: They testified a voice heard planning their mother's death on a secretly recorded tape was not their father's voice.
7: Nikki and Allie both said there was no way their father did it. That was not his voice on the tape. They knew his voice well, and he was not the type of man who would kill their mother. He loved her too much.
5: We have to determine whether or not Robert Angleton had anything to do with it. The daughters have said he didn't.
2: On August 12, 1998, the jury reaches a verdict. In the matter of the murder of Doris Angleton, they find her husband, Bob, not guilty.
7: Uh, Reaction, sir? Yeah, shock. It was one of those classic cinematic moments where people gasped, there was tears. People from Doris's family were furious. There was, you know, some hand clapping, some wailing.
5: Anything else comes to mind? Changing professions.
8: I was just stunned. I know he couldn't have pulled the trigger because he was where he was, but I believed in the plan.
2: Meanwhile, Bob Angleton leaves court a free man.
3: I can't get much happier than I feel right
2: now. In 2005, Bob's illegal dealings catch up with him when he's convicted of passport fraud and tax evasion and spends the next seven years in prison.
1: It's believed Bob now lives in Europe. Doris is six feet in ground. Bob is still out there a free man. That's not justice.
7: At the heart of this story, that people sometimes forget, is the murder of a wonderful woman. You can't ignore the joy and the beauty in the presence of Doris Angleton.
8: She just was a wonderful daughter, and I miss her. Just knowing that such a thing could happen, I, it's just, there's just no words for it. Why would anybody want to do that to her? It's something I'll never get over.